Hello, and welcome to another edition of See It or Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for. For our featured movies this week, Jason Momoa returns to the sea in Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, Bradley Cooper returns to the director's chair in Maestro, a flock of ducks go on a trip in Migration, and Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell resist temptation in anyone but you. Let's get started. When Aquaman's world is threatened with destruction, he joins forces with his brother to stop it from happening. This is Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. He must be stopped or a global meltdown is imminent. I think I know someone might build that with us. You look rough. Brother, high five. Do not call me. Brother. I cannot believe you let this happen. Yeah, well, I hate this job. True king builds bridges, right? True king builds bridges. <laughs> Jason Momoa returns as Arthur Curry, a.k.a. Aquaman. He's back, this time as a father to a baby boy he had with his wife, Mira, played again by Amber Heard in a pretty thankless role, I might add, that barely registers throughout the film. In this adventure, Aquaman is battling David Kane, a.k.a. Black Manta, played again by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Black Manta is furious and wants revenge on Aquaman for killing his father in the first film. To help him achieve this revenge, Black Manta becomes possessed by the spirit of the Black Trident, found deep into the Seventh Kingdom of Atlantis. Unfortunately for Aquaman, as well as the entire planet, Black Manta's spell seems to be uncontrollable and not only can destruct Aquaman, but also the entire planet above and below sea level. Can Aquaman conquer Black Manta in time to save his family and the world? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a shove-it, and I give this film a... Shove-it. This did not work for me at all on any level. The humor was unfunny, the set designs and special effects looked extremely unrealistic, the acting felt forced. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about superhero fatigue and people criticize that expression, but I really think I have it. These superhero films blend with each other and they're all beginning to look and feel the same. So moving forward, I have a suggestion. I think the filmmakers need to focus more on the story and less on the special effects, which in this case didn't even look that great to begin with. I honestly don't want to watch another one anytime soon, and unfortunately there are a couple on the horizon, starting with Dakota Johnson's Madam Web in February, but I really like her, so maybe there's hope. Maybe? Guess we'll see. Next, a renowned composer lives a complicated life behind the scenes. This is Maestro. If summer doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. And if nothing sings in you, then you can't make music. Something she told me. Hello, I'm Lenny. Hello, Felicia. She's wonderful. She's a lovely girl. What age are we living in? One can be as free as one likes without guilt or confession. Please, I know exactly who you are. 
Returning to the director's chair for his sophomore effort, Oscar nominee Bradley Cooper plays legendary composer Leonard Bernstein, a complicated, emotionally troubled, yet insanely talented musician. The film begins with an elderly Bernstein being interviewed about his life before quickly flashing back to 1943 when he was 25 years old and living in New York City. And Cooper brings the past to us in black and white and the present in color, so that was an interesting take that he did. We see that he is having a relationship in his younger years with clarinetist David Oppenheim, played by Matt Bomer. He soon meets a woman named Felicia, played by Oscar nominee Carrie Mulligan. He is immediately smitten with her, and they begin dating, eventually marrying, and having three children. As their marriage evolves and Bernstein becomes increasingly successful, Felicia begins to face the pressure his homosexual tendencies have on their marriage. She initially insists that she knew who he was when they married, and even cops to her own affairs on the side. However, his growing alcohol and substance abuse, as well as his extramarital affairs, begin taking a serious toll on their marriage, and her strength she has shown thus far begins to weaken. The film then delves into the couple as they evaluate the state of their marriage and the price each has to pay. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it, and I give this film a... See-it! This film is stunning to look at. After his master craftsmanship in A Star is Born, and now this, Bradley Cooper is showing what a talented director he is. There are some shots in this that are stunning. The best thing about it, though, are the performances from Cooper and Mulligan. This is the best I've seen both of them, and they've been fantastic in other films. Could this be what gets them their elusive Oscars? That remains to be seen, but they both definitely deserve it for this film. As for the storyline, it is your basic biopic that spends its time going through a rather lengthy period of time, as opposed to just a shorter period of time, which you know I prefer. I feel when it's a shorter period of time, it adds more depth to the story, and this one is no different. I do think by choosing to stretch over such a long period of time, it does sacrifice a little bit of depth in the storytelling. There are several times where some deep emotion would have brought the film to an even higher level, especially concerning the impact of the relationship between Bernstein and Oppenheimer. But we get the performances we do, in part because of being able to see them age over time, so maybe it's worth it. This is one of the best films of the year in terms of performances and directing, and it is one you should see. Next, a family of ducks decide to go away for the winter on a journey to Jamaica. This is Migration. Here we are together. We're on an adventure. Seeing what else life has to offer. Is that a little scary? Sure. But isn't it worth it? In this film, a family called the Mallards are a family of ducks who aren't participating in the annual migration to the south due to their paranoid father, Mac, voiced by Kamel Nanjiani. Elizabeth Banks voices his wife, Pam. She is on the more adventurous side and thinks that they should go with their children, Dax and Gwen, voiced by Casper Jennings and Tracy Gazel. When another family of ducks tries to lure them into their annual migration to Jamaica, Mac refuses. 
However, the rest of the family guilt trips him into acquiescing, and off they go on a long trip with their grumpy Uncle Dan, voiced by Danny DeVito. Throughout the trip, they encounter many perilous situations, including an encounter with herons, as well as a detour in New York City where they meet a pigeon named Chump, voiced by Aquafina. Chump introduces them to a Jamaican parrot named Delroy, voiced by Keegan-Michael Key. If they are able to free Delroy from the confines of a birdcage, he will help them reach their destination. However, they must first overcome a violent and vengeful chef whose specialty is, of course, duck à l'orange. Will they be able to find their way to sunnier climates? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... Shove it. I did not find this one engaging or charming at all. And that's a shame because the trailer made it seem like it would be. You know how a lot of times with animated movies there's enough in there to appeal to children as well as adults with its humor? This one doesn't, and I can't imagine it would appeal to anyone over the age of six or seven. The storyline was dull, no matter how hard the voice actors tried to make it exciting, it just never was. Although, as usual, I enjoyed the scenes with Aquafina because I always find her hilarious. But overall, it just wasn't good. When I'm walking out of a movie and my favorite thing about it is that I enjoyed the scenes of New York City and it made me miss the city, and that's kind of bad. But like I said, if you have some little ones who want to go see it, they may enjoy it. I did not. Next, when a date goes wrong and the couple is reunited at a wedding, they scheme to convince others they are together. This is anyone but you. I could never be with someone like him. This girl's a disaster. Those two are going to ruin our wedding. Sorry. No way. Honey, look who's here. Who is that? My ex, Jonathan. My parents have been trying to get us back together. He's like a son to us. Maybe we should just tell everyone we're together. What? It would solve that problem for me, and you clearly want Margaret. Right. She's seizure with me. She wants what she can have. Let's do it. Top Gun Maverick star Glenn Powell is Ben, a young city dweller who, on a chance encounter, meets B, played by Sydney Sweeney. B is a law student who is considering dropping out of school to pursue other interests. They have an instant attraction to each other and spend a day romancing each other and a night doing other things to each other. The next morning, filled with regret, B leaves before Ben wakes up, but then regrets leaving only to return to Ben's apartment, where he is covering up his disappointment and hurt by telling his best friend Pete, played by Gata, that she was nothing more than a one-night stand. Several months go by, and the two run into one another again when it is discovered that B's sister Hallie, played by Hadley Robinson, is dating Pete's sister Claudia, played by Alexandra Shipp. When that relationship goes down the path to marriage, they're both invited to the destination wedding in Australia. Once there, they must keep their disgust of each other to a minimum for the sake of the wedding. And when it is clear that B's parents are trying to reconcile a failed relationship with the former boyfriend, and Ben's former girlfriend is there as well, the two decide to pretend to be together so that their families can lay off. But will their personal gripes toward each other reveal the truth? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a shove-it, and I give this film a... Shove it. 
As I said in trailer talk, there was no doubt in my mind how this one was going to play out. And sure enough, it is exactly what you think is going to happen. However, my biggest problem with it is that I literally predicted how every single scene was going to end. There was no element of surprise and no new take on the romantic comedy genre. There were a couple of laughs and a couple of cute scenes in there, but overall this is a highly forgettable romantic comedy. And I might get torched for this, but I really don't think Sydney Sweeney is that great of an actress. For some re reason, she just really annoys me. I think it's how she talks. I don't know if this will make sense, but to me, her voice is the vocal equivalent to an eye roll, like she's annoyed that she has to talk. I know a lot of people think she's a wonderful actress and is someone to watch for the future, but I was not impressed. Maybe she's better in dramatic roles. And, you know, although this is a shove-it, it is worth going to to gawk over Paul's very chiseled body that the camera clearly loved while filming, but aside from that, skip this one. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is in theaters now and is a shove-it. Maestro is on Netflix now and is a see-it and is my pick of the week, although this week it wasn't hard to choose. Migration is in theaters now and is a shove-it. And Anyone But You is in theaters now and is a shove-it. Now, onto my brief take of some additional movies I've watched this week in my segment called Quick Picks. The Apple TV Plus action comedy The Family Plan, starring Academy Award-nominated actor Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Monaghan, is a by-the-numbers witness protection action flick that you've seen before. There's nothing new added to the genre here, and it is a shove-it. Finest Kind on Paramount Plus stars Ben Foster, Toby Wallace, Jenna Ortega, and Oscar winner Tommy Lee Jones, and it's about two estranged brothers who reunite and have to deal with organized crime outside of Boston in order to save their fishing business. It's a throwaway forgettable movie and is a shove-it. And Zack Snyder's sci-fi film Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, is streaming on Netflix, and it is about as dull as a science fiction movie can get. It is a shove-it, and sadly, this is only Part 1. Now let's move on to the segment where I let you know the latest titles that are either now available or coming soon to home viewing. This is now streaming... The surprise hit Sound of Freedom was a huge success this summer. I didn't go see it because I didn't want my money going towards something allegedly funded by conspiracy theorists, but it is streaming on Amazon Prime beginning tomorrow, December 26th, if you are so inclined to watch it. But for me, anything that gets the stamp of approval from Fox News, I kind of go in with a little bit of caution. Elsewhere, Alexander Payne's The Holdovers, starring Paul Giamatti, Divine Joy Randolph, and Dominic Sessa is one of the best films of the year and deserved better numbers at the box office. It is streaming on Peacock beginning Friday, December 29th. To hear my full review, listen to episode 118. And the indie horror film It Lives Inside was just okay. The concept was interesting and it had its moments, but unfortunately it wasn't as scary as the trailer suggested. It streams on Hulu beginning Friday, December 29th, and to hear my full review, listen to episode 109. Now it is time for my segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind, Rewind. 
Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a film that was released in the decade I was born, which was the 1970s. And your choices were The Amityville Horror, A Star is Born, Halloween, and What's Up, Doc? You voted and chose A Star is Born. In this third version of the evidently timeless tale, Barbara Streisand plays Esther Hoffman, the lead singer of a lounge group. Esther meets a huge rock star named John Norman Howard, played by Chris Christopherson. John Norman has seen life on the road begin to take its toll on him physically and emotionally. When he meets Esther, he sees her talent and wants to help develop her into a star of her own. Of course, the two begin falling for each other, and as their relationship develops, so does Esther's stardom, while at the same time, John Norman's career begins to plunge. The story of Esther's fame and John Norman's fall from grace is culminated by tragedy and heartbreak. Released on December 19, 1976, and directed by Frank Pearson, the production was pretty rocky from the start. Initially meant as a starring vehicle for Diana Ross, who was flying high off an Oscar nomination for Best Actress in Lady Sings the Blues. However, Motown president Barry Gordy refused to release her from her contract in order to make the film. Other people considered for the role were Cher, Liza Minnelli, and Helen Reddy, before eventually going to Streisand. For the part of John Norman, Streisand really wanted it to be played by Elvis Presley, who at that time had not been in a film since 1969. She went as far as to go to one of Elvis's performances in Las Vegas to try to convince him to play the part. However, his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, was pissed that she approached him directly and didn't go through him, and he made a bunch of outrageous demands such as Elvis's name would have to be at the top of the movie poster above Streisand's, as well as an astronomical amount of money for his salary. That did not go over well with the producers, who instead cast Christofferson. With production finally in gear, things would get tense as Christofferson did not get along with Pearson. According to Christofferson, the director, a World War II veteran, looked down on him for being in the army yet not serving in Vietnam. It created tension that was mostly one-sided as Christofferson said, and I quote, I was too drunk to give a shit. It wasn't rosy between Pearson and Streisand either. Pearson hated working with her. In fact, just weeks prior to the film's release, he wrote a first-person account of the filming labeling her as egocentric, manipulative, and controlling. The piece was published in both New York and New West magazines. Yet, despite all the drama, the film came in ahead of schedule and under budget, and it ended up being the second highest grossing film of 1976, earning $80 million. Despite receiving at best mixed reviews, the film earned four Oscar nominations, winning Best Original Song for the Streisand and Paul Williams penned song Evergreen. Speaking of Evergreen, the scene in the film featuring the recording of the song is a live recording, as Streisand hates doing lip-sync work and preferred having a more natural scene to showcase the song. This was a method also employed by director Bradley Cooper in the highly successful 2018 remake starring himself and Lady Gaga. 
Although it was nominated for four Oscars, it remains the only version of the story to not receive Best Actress and Best Actor nominations for the leads, as the 1937 version did for Janet Gaynor and Frederick March, and the 1954 adaptation with Judy Garland and James Mason, and the aforementioned 2018 version with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Before I wrap this up, there is a bit of trivia. In one scene where John Norman gets into a fight in a bar, one of the patrons he punches is Freddy Krueger himself, Robert England, who was an extra on the film. Christofferson thought he was a stunt double and accidentally punched him in the face. He felt so bad about it, he invited England to his trailer, where the two made amends over several glasses of wine to show that there were no hard feelings. A Star is Born is available to rent on various platforms. Next week's Be Kind Rewind will be the conclusion of the 52-week movie challenge. The topic is a film celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. And since the next episode will be released in 2024, we'll choose one released in 1974. Your choices are Earthquake, Herbie Rides Again, and Murder on the Orient Express. Come to my Instagram at Shovit to vote for which film I should focus on, and the post with the most likes will be next week's segment. That's it for this episode of Cedar Shove It. Thank you so much for listening this week. I am so grateful. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. You can drop me a line at cedarshoveit at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram and letterboxd at cedarshoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. Come back next week to hear reviews of the final week of films for 2023, including The Color Purple, The Iron Claw, and Ferrari. Until then, take care, everyone. Have a great week, and Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved. <laughs>